As you know, each week I've been reading uh, both from the Old and the New Testament, matching up uh, these commandments in which we've been moving through. Today uh, is no different. We're going to start here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're just going to read one verse, which is 18. Moses writes down for the people of God after God had already written it with his own finger and has commanded Moses through revelation on the, mount, on the mountain, Mount Sinai. He says, and you shall not commit adultery. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus comes along on his mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and says, you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Bless now this reading of Your Word and the preaching and our response to what You have to say to us. Today we pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Marriage is protected in the Bible. Marriage is holy in the Bible. But I want to say even outside of the Bible, extra-canonical if you will, uh, that in society, in sociology, in psychology, um, in the study of anthropology, you're going to find marriage honored in all civilizations all over the world since the beginning of recorded history, which reaches about over 5,000 years back, okay? So for about 5,000 plus years now, this institution of marriage between a man and a woman that naturally produces children, it has been honored. has been a place where families are created and where children are best raised You can go online, you can look in psychology books, sociology books, there's all kinds of studies. Children who have both parents there, male and female, mom and dad, those are more likely to succeed in life, make higher income. There's all kinds of health benefits apparently. This is stuff outside of the Bible. So, even outside of the Bible, this institution is honored. Even though it's under attack. Um... In the Bible, marriage is first found in Genesis 1. (laughs) Male and female are created, and this is what is called mankind. Not just one or the other, but two equal in being, but not equal in who they are. They're complementary. That's what we mean by male and female even. 
And so this union is ordained not by society. We're not the ones who thought this up. We're not the ones who gave it authority. We're not the ones who honored it, but instead God honored it in the beginning when He created us. And everybody has come from that one union, that one marriage between Adam and Eve. It was a very fruitful marriage. Uh, Eve means mother of all living. Adam means mankind. So these two, Adam and Eve, through this union, and it struck me a few years back, sadly, all my life I've read Genesis you know, 1 and 2, but I, I started thumbing through there again and reading, and I notice that she gives the fruit to her husband. That had never jumped out to me. Husband. Already mentioned in chapter 2 and also 3 where that occurs. This is a marriage. Not just some kind of civil union. Not just some kind of relationship. But instead it is a marriage. A marriage of male and female. Made for one another. Fit together by God Himself biologically. And also, we are... What marriage teaches us in the beginning too is that we need one another. Adam apparently was lonely with just the animals. There was no animal that was that he was made for other than this woman. Uh, and you know, there's jokes about how she got her name Woe Man. Woe Man when he first saw her, you know. Um, and that's where woman comes from, which I'd probably agree. I mean, you know, you see a bunch of beasts and a bunch of dudes and then all of a sudden you see a woman and wow, okay, that's something beautiful and created uh, good. And God creates women good. Women are not bad. Men are not bad. And being man and woman are not bad. And having a sexual union in marriage is not bad. All these things are good, but here's the danger, and this is what this text is warning us against, both these texts, is this. The greatest things in life become the worst things in life when they go bad. Isn't that how... I mean... If one of you falls down from your chair, well, that's not a very long fall. But something big like the Empire State Building, the Sears Tower in Chicago, I've been all the way up and I look down, that's quite a significant drop. And so it's a great view, a lot better view than a chair. But at the same time, to fall from that view is a long fall. And when we fail... I say we because we have all fallen in this area of sin, of lusting, of being adulterous at heart. We fall far. It's a long fall. And sexuality has been twisted in our time and the enemy uses it against us probably more than anything else. It's apparent in our Axe commercials, deodorant, hamburgers. Apparently to sell anything today, you use sex. And God here is trying to protect this union. And what the Bible says about marriage is very clear. About sex is very clear. It's only in the union of marriage. Not before, not after, not outside of. Only in this one union between male and and female. And so, we come here to this commandment, the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. 
And again, it's, it's kind of like coming to these, these big ones like murder. Some of you may dismiss yourself immediately, but I would ask you not to because Jesus goes to the heart of the matter and elsewhere the prophets even go further in a sense to something else. And so I want to share just three movements here with this commandment, do not commit adultery. One is the first and the obvious one is don't break this union up. Don't break it up by adultery. Don't break it up by other relationships. Don't break it up because of your job. Don't adulterate this union. You have been given another to be one with. And in this union, your job is to honor that. This is what, you know, when, when you take those marital vows, you're told to honor. I mean, I remember when Jessica and I got married, I honor you. We, we did the traditional vows because I think they're strongest. I mean, I know people make up their own vows, but I, I very much suggest that people use and integrate into them the old traditional vows because they're very strong. Um, they're not just lovey-dovey. There's no way out of them. Death is the only way out. Uh, you know, so, so that's why the traditional vows, till death do us part, and I honor you, I cherish you. Just think of these terms. And then think about that other person. Do you actually cherish them? Do, look, I, when, when you've been with someone a while, you take them for granted. I mean, most of the things in your life you take for granted. And until they're removed from you, when you go on a retreat like we did last weekend and cell phones are removed, I'm mean, reaching for my... It's not there anymore. I don't have that access when the food that Jessica cooks is not there anymore. Then you realize how much you can appreciate what someone does, who they are, and that you have been given an opportunity, a ministry to that person. It's a ministry. So how well are you ministering? Because look, this is not time for elbowing, okay? Unless you're going to elbow me. Because I'm right here with you. I'm getting elbowed. You're getting elbowed. We're all getting elbowed. Because marriage is tough. But you know what? What things in life that are really good, really big, really great, are not worth fighting for? Working toward? No one just steps out on the football field and is a natural. Even the naturals practice because up there, you don't make it in that league without practicing and working and your life centered upon that. So too with marriage. You're not going to make it naturally. You're going to have to have supernatural help in order to love another in this union. But there's good news in this and that is it can be done. The Scripture is very clear about adultery and about divorcing this union. And that is, it shouldn't be done. Period. Jesus says, look, the only reason even Moses allowed y'all, you guys to get divorced was because of your own sinfulness. The rule is, don't. And again, look around our world. It's a broken world. But you know what? Where sin has abounded, 
where sin has broken us down, where we've crashed into sin, where it's destroyed lives, destroyed families, where we've messed up, where we've dropped the ball, where we've not been faithful. God remains faithful and His grace is super abounding toward us even in our failures. He can heal. Solomon warns us in the Proverbs of the batting eyes, the honey talk that the adulteress gives, the wandering eye, and those who go there, he says, go to the pit of hell. They go to hell. Her bed leads, he says, to Sheol. It's a great warning. And David, probably the most famous, if you will, adulterer in the Bible, commits adultery, commits murder, commits lying. In an instance to cover up what he had done. And Nathan the prophet says, you're that man, David, and he repents. And you know what? God doesn't kill him. You ever notice that? God doesn't kill him. God doesn't say, okay, you're done. You're worthless to me now. Instead, He shows him great grace. Instead, He forgives David. And David writes about this in one of his psalms. His penitential psalm. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, would You cleanse me. And what he says in there is, he says, Though my sins be like crimson, be red, stained, you can make them whiter than snow. Praise be to God. Where we have failed, He can make us clean. We're not worthless to Him. If we will confess our sins and repent of them. Not an excuse. Not, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our prayers of forgiveness when we ask God, we're just really asking Him to excuse us. Oh, just excuse my bad behavior. I know I'm going to do it again. But just excuse it. You know me. No, He doesn't know that you because the picture that God sees of you is beyond what you can even see because He knows what you can become in Him. That's good news. Praise be to God. He, see, he saw more in me than I could see in myself. Praise God. He saw more in David. And even when David messed up, even when David failed and was unfaithful, God remained faithful and David repented. You can take this track the same way with Peter and Judas as you can with Saul and David. Saul, he sins, he drops the ball, he's unfaithful to God, but he does not repent. David, he repents. Judas, he drops the ball, so does Peter. They both leave their Lord at His most precious hour. One of them repents, the other does not. Praise be to God that we can go to Him. He is a Father that is always 
there with open arms. He's waiting, looking over the horizon, waiting for the prodigal to come home. And He runs toward us when He sees us because He's already anticipating it. He's already praying for that return. Jesus, in the New Testament here in Matthew 5, goes to the very heart of the matter. He says, you know already not to commit adultery. You can see that in society. You know, no society looks up to that. (laughs) There's no society that glorifies that. You say, well, there's polygamous marriage. That's not adultery. That's still marriage. Uh, As C.S. Lewis said, you know, in all the societies of the world, it may be a question of how many wives you have or one wife, but it's never a question that you can just go have someone else's wife. That's never the thought in any society. Here, Jesus goes to the very heart of it. He says, you already know that. Here's what I want to challenge you with is lust. Whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes to say, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Hand, cut it off. It's better to be maimed, eyeless, than to go into hell full-bodied. Again, you know, this is one of these instances and in the New Testament, Jesus does this often, more often than we want to let on. He says something and He says, if you don't do that, you're going to go to hell. We don't like it. I don't like it. Nobody likes it, but He says it. So what do we do with it? I hope we take it to heart. I hope we take it to God. Because none of us in this room are going to be able to do it on our own. Even if it's not lust after a person, there's lust after things of this. Lust just is desire. That term is just desire. You desire that thing or that person, what desire in your life is hindering your marriage? In other words, ladies, you're not off the hook on this. I know that it's the big sin for guys. But you're not off the hook either. There's other things that you desire more than your husband that you are to have and to hold him only. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, has an instance where he's dealing with this matter of lust. They see a ghost, which all of them are ghosts in this country, because only the solid people who are in heaven are solid. And they're so solid, and the other people are so ghostly, because basically the, the book, just real quick, is they're in hell, so the book starts off in hell, And they take a bus ride up to heaven to see if they want to stay in heaven. So they get an opportunity, basically, to stay in heaven if if they want to. You know, front of the book actually has um, a bus on it with 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 heaven on it, and they're coming out of the flames. But nonetheless, here they get up there, and and so when they get off the bus, they're ghostly. I mean, they you barely can even make out an outline that they're even there, because everything in this country, God's country is of substance. They get off and one guy gets cut by the grass because it's so solid, it's more solid than he is. You know, streets of gold kind of thing. Alright, so anyway, the, the observer here is from an observing perspective. He sees a ghost and this ghost has a little lizard on him. A little red lizard. And, and a little red lizard is, is whispering things in his ears. You know. 
and he's wagging his tail, doing this number, and the guy says, okay, you know, you can't say that. Don't, don't, don't say that here. You know, he's trying to be respectful, and he says, he, he says, off so soon, talking to the ghost. Are you off so soon? Are you going back to the bus already? He says, yeah, this, <laughs> this old chap here, he... He just, he just keeps, keeps kind of saying some things that, that I know is just very inappropriate here. Um, he's, he's making me think of some things here that's just, that's, I know up here, it's, it, down there it's fine. Up here, I understand. And so we're just going to head back to the bus. It's fine. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. We're, we're off to the, and he says, well, hang on. Do you want me to take care of him? Do you want me to silence him? He said, well, sure, if you can do that, that'd be, that'd be great. I would love for you to just... You know, cut that little voice off in, in, in my ear here. Uh, this little guy, I mean, my goodness, he's been with me for so long. I wish you could just silence him. He says, okay, I will. And so the, the, the seraphim, this angel who's on fire, comes toward him. He says, oh, oh, you're burning me. Get away from me. He says, I thought you said you wanted me to silence him. He says, well, well I do. But you're hurting me. He says, well, I didn't say it wouldn't hurt. So he comes closer to the lizard with his hands ready to grab around the neck. And he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to kill it. He said, whoa, nobody said anything about killing the thing. I thought you were just going to make it be quiet. He says, no, the only way to make it be quiet is to kill it. And he says, well, hang on, hang on. I, you know, I didn't, whoa, I didn't, I wasn't really ready, ready for that. Let me just get a second to think about what... He says, no, all seconds are contained in this very moment. He said, well, let me just go back to the bus and just think on this, and I'll come back up here next week. He said, no, all moments are in this moment. May I kill it? And he says, yes, I want you to kill it. So he reaches up and he starts hurting again and he says, hang on, back off. And he says, I told you it would hurt, but I won't kill you. But even if I did, would it not be better to die than to have this thing whispering dreams that never become reality in your ear? He says, yes. So his fiery hands come across the the lizard and he chokes him to death and throws him on the ground. And as they're observing this scene... The guy falls on the ground as well. Both of them on the ground. Now, he didn't think that the lizard was dead because it kept moving and twitching. But as he noticed, the man was transforming. He could see substance now on him. He was growing greater, fuller, clearer. And as he was noticing behind him, the, the, the lizard was still writhing but turning white, growing larger. The tail was getting more like hair, huge buttocks were coming out, and that little lizard, that red, slimy, dirty, lustful lizard turned into a great stallion. And the man jumped on it and rode off into the country toward heaven. It was one of the only redemptive scenes in the book. All the rest get back on the bus and go back to hell. And it goes to show you, That God, if we will allow Him to kill those desires that grip us, that addict us, but never have any finish to them. It's just a dream that has no substance to it. If we'll let Him have it, He'll kill it. 
We must allow Him to do that. Isn't that what Jesus said? Pluck it out. Cut it off. Paul then later says in one of his epistles, you must cut it off. Sin. Kill it. Crucify it. You must die if you're ever to live. And God can take that that worst thing in our life and make it into the greatest thing in our life because those things that have fallen far can be redeemed far also. What can He do in our broken relationships? What can He do in our desires, in our heart? You may look great on the outside, but what's going on in here? Are you not satisfied with your mate? That's not God's fault. It's not their fault. It's your fault. Marriage is not just for happiness, it's for holiness. And if you will allow God to do it, He will make you holy through this union. It won't be easy. And it will hurt when He starts reaching for things. But if we allow Him to, He can make us into some of the most solid people you know. He can fit us for heaven. There's no magical thing that happens to you when you die. You don't leave sin to be dealt with at death. You deal with it now. All moments, as that angel told him, all moments are contained in this moment. What are you going to do? May I kill it? He can. He can get rid of it. Do you believe that kind of power and grace is in Jesus Christ? I hope you do because that's what the Gospel is. That's what the good news is. There is no good news in just getting forgiven and never being healed. Always slapping a band-aid on, but never dealing with the cancer. Popping a pill. That's not what Jesus offers. He offers sanctifying, cleansing power (laughs) through the Holy Spirit. There is another kind of adultery that's talked about in the Bible, and it's spiritual adultery. Not just adultery in here or out there, but toward God Himself. In Isaiah 54, 5, God says through Isaiah, I am your Maker, and your Maker, your Creator, is your husband. I am your husband. Later on, of course, in the New Testament, the idea is developed that we are, as the church, the bride of Christ. Hosea, one of the more famous prophets because of what he's told to do. He's told to go out and marry a promiscuous woman on purpose. One that he knows will cheat on him. Knows she will run to other lovers. But he does it in order to show the people of Israel that this is what they're doing to God. He's providing everything they need. And yet they run to other lovers. What other lovers in your life do you have other than Jesus? I can promise you, whatever you come up with, whatever you say you're in love with in this world, it will never compare to the love that Jesus has. That God, that love is of substance. It can really bring fulfillment, satisfaction, and happiness. You see, we never get happiness without holiness. 
Nothing in this life will ever make us happy but God's holiness. And without holiness, no one... Let me repeat that again. No one will see God. No one will see God without a holy life. John 8 is a powerful text where a woman gets caught in the very act of adultery. Other than David, this is probably second the most favorite or famous. And she's thrown before Jesus by the rulers. And they say, the law of Moses says we need to kill her. We need to stone her to death for this act of adultery. Jesus ignores them and starts riding in the sand like a little kid playing in the sand. This is the only time that Jesus ever wrote anything that we know of in the Bible. And it was in the sand. And they ask Him again, say, hey, we're talking to you, buddy. We want to know. She was caught in an act of adultery. Law of Moses says to stone her, so should we? He continues to write in the sand. And then He says, let the first one who doesn't have any sin the first stone. Now, I don't know what he was writing in the sand, but what if he was writing their sin? What if he was to write your sin today? We always want to stone someone for doing something. We love to crucify people at work. We love to crucify people in our family. We love to see the downfall of people. It makes us feel better. What if he was writing their sins and they looked down and this man knows what I'm doing? This man knows what's in my heart. This man knows that I don't really love God. And so from oldest to youngest, they leave. And he says, woman, is there any that accuse you? She says, no, my Lord. He says, neither do I. Now, he could have. He was perfect. He's the only one who could have thrown the stone and he did. God did not. (laughs) And he says to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Forgiveness is for healing. Not so we can do it again. Do you want God's forgiveness in this area? In your marriage? Do you want a holy union? This is the way He ordained it. If you're seeking forgiveness, He is here to say, I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. And when He says that, He means it. Your sins are gone. Cast into the deepest sea as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to forget them. He will never bring it up again. It's not like us. He'll never bring it up again if you seek His forgiveness. But He wants to cleanse you as well. He wants to change your heart. He wants to mold you into the person, the man of God you know you're supposed to be, the woman of God you were created to be. 
wants to make you holy. And He can do that this morning. By His grace and in the power of His Spirit. Amen.